Angela Yee, and I'm telling you right now that the Alive Podcast Network app is the best directory of podcasts created for us by us. From relationships to making money moves, there's a show that'll captivate every listener. And for my fellow Black creatives, this is a call to action to take your brand and monetization to the next level. It's for the culture. Join the movement and sign up today. Sign up today to get a six-month subscription for $20. Visit AlivePodcastNetwork.com. Coming soon to iOS and Android. Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to the Swell Suite. Happy Father's Day. Happy Sunday to everyone, um, especially shout out to all of the dads um, doing great things on this beautiful Sunday. It's me and Tanisha today. Hey, Tanisha. Hey, girl. Hey. We got <laughs> How are- guys to listen. We got a couple guys. Yeah, we got a couple fathers. To oh, we might have like two followers that are men. We might. Yeah. We might. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, we have a special guest, Tanisha. This is one of your homegirls, so. I am so excited about this. Um, it is Emily Dilling, who has this amazing book. I mean, even beyond that, she was like already amazing when I met her um, at uh, a cocktail event years ago when I first moved here. And uh, she's re-releasing my Paris Market cookbook. Not mine, her. That's the name of the book. <laughs> but she is the name people are like, wait, why is it your cookbook? <laughs> it's called, the title of the book is My Paris Market. <laughs> and uh, um, among other things that she does, she has the amazing blog, Paris Paysan, a podcast of the same name, Emily has brewed beer. She has harvested grapes and vineyards. She lives in the countryside, lives in the city. She's just an all-around renaissance woman, I'd say. Hmm. Without further ado, Emily Dilly, welcome to the show. Hey, I'm blessing to meet you. Thank you for that intro. (laughs) Very kind of you. I would re-release your book any day, too. I'm waiting for it to come out. <laughs> yeah, Emily has kind of been on me to write a book. I'm starting small. I'm, I am writing I'm, a wine guide, so baby steps. Okay, that's okay. So, that's acceptable. Yeah. That's a good place to start. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and then after that, I'll talk about, you know, my life and the difficulty with French administration. That would be mm-hmm. that would be a You could fill a book with that, for sure. I was about to say, this sounds like a book in itself. Well, <laughs> And it would probably help so many. And then as soon as it helped people, then they would change everything. And then it would <laughs> it would be out of date. So, the French paradox. That is exactly the French paradox. But <laughs> so Emily, about your book, we have, yeah. um, you know, there's a description that's online. We have that. Can you share with us what your book is about or give us like a description of it that we wouldn't find online? Yeah, I would love to, actually, because it's something that's, it's interesting, like, when you go through the book writing process, you have an idea, and then you get an agent, and then you find a publisher, and all of those are, like, really great steps moving forward in the process, but along the way, you make compromises and concessions, like we all do when we're adulting and working on a project, but 
things change and you know the, and the idea at the at the like origin was that the book be a hundred percent guidebook and then you know my agent said it'd be easier to sell with recipes and I also love cooking and I was really excited about sharing and it makes sense to me too since the book is very market driven of course like that goes hand in hand with you know making recipes using seasonal ingredients so that was super fun that was a huge challenge writing the book but um that also kind of decided where the book would be placed in bookshops so it's on the sort of the cookbook shelf and it kind of got not pigeonholed because it's definitely half cookbook half guide but the cookbook element is something that's really we kind of gets more attention I think and for me like something I would just maybe add to that description is that I think that there really is a lot of quality content about like being like a good resource make that makes it a good resource for people who want to visit Paris and see Paris like in a new way and really discover a Paris that is the like where to eat and drink Paris and the where to you know maybe contact like come into contact with or maybe make a connection with people who are producing beer or you know have like a connection with winemakers in France you know with whether it be like at a wine shop in Paris or a really good wine bar or um yeah, I don't know, even just like coffee makers, you know, going to a great coffee shop and people who really respect the craft of, of being a barista and serving great coffee. So I think there's not, that's kind of representative of a new wave of Paris, like this mm -hmm. sort of new Paris. And I, and I really had a great time kind of putting all of those addresses together for the first version. And then I've added a bunch in this, in this new updated edition that's coming out. And I think I'd like to insist on that just because I think, you know, you see the, you know, on the cover, it's like a moussey, then there's definitely the recipes are kind of put in, in advance and we focus on those, but the really like a lot of the book is about um, visiting Paris and seeing it through the eyes of someone who wants to just like, you know, make connections with people on a very human level and also on a very like gastronomic level. And that's the cool thing about your book. It's not like you are just talking at us and like, go buy this, go do this. This is, you know, what I think. It is more uh, written for a consumer. Um, I, I think, like and I think I wanted to like keep in mind also like how fun it is to visit Paris like in this new edition since I've since moved and I've been in the countryside for four years and I I love Paris and so for me it was also fun to kind of go through and write up I added neighborhood roundups to this book to this edition of the book and it's it was just fun to like even go through my head walking through those neighborhoods this is where I would stop if I could you know and really like these places mm -hmm. that I wish for people you know like I wish the best for someone visiting Paris and I, I could you know I can't think of anything better to do than the things that I suggest in the book you know it's not something to check off a list it's something to sit it's a place to sit and enjoy it's a place to have a chat with people it's a it's a way to see Paris that for me is maybe not the like sort of typical Paris that we think of which is the Tour Eiffel or you know going and getting macaron or something like that but just kind of maybe going off the beaten path a little bit and also yeah, and also, like, letting yourself take time to just eat a lot, you know? I feel like sometimes when people come visit me in Paris, like, all we do is eat and drink. I'm like, what else do you want to do? Like, right. This is what we're doing. Eat, drink, and then go to sleep. So, yeah, so that can empower people to just come to Paris and just really feel solid about having an itinerary based on eating and, and drinking. Like, yeah, I you that get my approval awesome. on that. It is. And, that sounds um, fantastic. Rita <laughs> ate and drank her way through the city. Uh, I she did. She went a couple of tourist sites, too. A couple of, you know, landmarks. But Yeah, and especially for the first-time visitor. Yeah, yeah, you've got to, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And 
I feel like lately a lot of people, um, not a lot of people, but in some of the Facebook groups and um, like travel groups I'm in, people mention Paris and say, oh, I didn't have any good food or I didn't really like the city. It wasn't that much to do or see. But um, yeah, uh, I didn't really Yeah, no, and you know, and I think it's true, like you can eat poorly in Paris, you know, and I think that was part of the reason why I really, like, expanded, because the original idea as well for me was just really, like, where to find farmers at markets in Paris, and then there was this, like, growing sort of, like, movement to do more, like, farm-to-table, like, the, the restaurants were getting on board, there was so much more selection, and, and then that made people a little bit, like, have this more heightened awareness of the fact that a lot of places you go, they're serving you, like, a frozen, you know, like, a reheated frozen dessert, you know, or, like, you're, yeah. it's, they're kind of tourist traps, so it's not good quality, and so, so when the first edition of the book came out, that was kind of my thing was like, don't go there, go here. And now now that the second edition is coming out, I realized that so many restaurants have kind of jumped on that bandwagon that like now it was, it's almost like you have so many choices. How do you sort through them to find the real place? You know, not a place that's kind of like mm. hopping on this idea of we have natural wine and you go and it's not, you know, or it just right. like really trying to like, we, you know, pick through those places and, and be, have a discerning eye for which is, what is quality and what is kind of like a hop on or, you know, kind of co-opting a movement in a way. And I also, like one rule of thumb I use for restaurants where people are like, oh, well, I don't know which ones to pick and I don't know where to go. And I'm like, well, if they're standing outside and they're yelling at you to come in, don't go. <laughs> <laughs> like, don't do it. <laughs> totally. That's a, that's a good rule of thumb. I think if anyone wants you that badly, there's something, there's something wrong. And it's like that in um, Saint-Michel, where I used to live. If you walk down those streets on Rue de la Huchette and Rue Saint-Severin, like the people, the guys stand outside the restaurant. They're like, hey, you hungry? You want to eat? Mm -hmm. You want to eat something? We have this. Come in here. And I'm like, oh, no, I've never eaten at any of those places. And I lived there for a few years and did mm -hmm. not. Well, yeah, and also I think, like, you're a client. You want to go into a place and you want to have, like, an experience. And, you know, I'm, I'm working at a really cute little bistro now I'm doing the front of the housework and I realize like a lot of that is also being like where am I going to place people I want you know if people kids you know like you're just you're really just thinking about the dining experience and you don't you're not thinking about like bring more clients in or like let's let's turn the tables it's more like they these people get to spend a night out like either you know with their family or a loved one or whatever and like you want that to be good. And I think people who are like proud of what they're serving have spent time thinking they're, it's thought like a thoughtful menu and, you know, and, and, and whoever is working there is, believes in what they're doing. You're going to have a different dining experience than someplace that's just trying to pull people in so that they've got covers and they're, you know, hitting some sort of mark every night. Like that's a huge difference. And I think that's, you know, that's also, I think if you, you know, one, one thing I use is I'll look at the wine menu and it's not just cause I, like a certain kind of wine, but it's also because I know if the wine is good, then the, they're not going to, you know, the, the food is probably going to follow suit and there's probably going to be, you know, good beer as well or whatever. And those are the, just like ways that you can kind of, you know, like indicators that you can pick up on when you're, when you're making a choice that's pretty difficult because you have a lot of choices in Paris, but they're not all the same. Now that's a good tip, a good way to look at it. Like look at the wine list. And yeah, I never thought about that. Is, yeah. Yeah, the wine is a good call. That probably works like in restaurants across the board. All over yeah. The world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it does cuz sometimes the food can be good but the wine, you know, but the wine program isn't there and I feel like if the wine program is there, you've gone a little bit further in your research of what you're what you're proposing and it for me it just adds a little bit more credibility. And it's not like to be a wine snob about it at all. It just it's also consciously knowing that I'm going to want to have wine with my meal. So I obviously want something 
that I want to drink or I'm excited about drinking, but it's also like, okay, that's like a sign for me that there's like, that there's been A to Z like thought into, into what the proposition of the restaurant is or the bar or whatever. It's, this is the swirl suite. It's perfectly fine if you want to be a wine snob. Like we, yeah. Okay. 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 Yeah. I know. Speaking to I, the converted, that's not. You are. You are. In the same <laughs> no, I mean, and I. This uh, is you the know, same space. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I am. I, I probably shouldn't. Yeah, be shy about that at all. Actually, I'm with with my people here. But yeah, I. I you know, I do. I think it's a shame to not. When you know how good wine can be, it's a shame to miss out on an opportunity to to discover something new or just to pair that with something new or yeah and, and and enjoy while you're treating yourself out you know to a night out like not everyone gets to do that all the time and it's a special it's a special moment I think yeah, now especially a trip to Paris about... right like if people are going to Paris like that's that's, that's super true. memorable like make the best yeah. of it no and you don't want to remember like the bad pizza you had um or Mm-mm. like the rubbery duck confit or you know whatever you don't want to remember that you want to have a great experience and there are so many fantastic culinary experiences you can have here but then there are also a whole lot of terrible ones so mm, for sure yeah. for sure i think you just need to do a little more due diligence you need to read emily's book you need to thank you <laughs> internet searches but like I feel like in Paris, though, you can't just walk into a place. Um, no, just, and I think it'd be a shame to, yeah. yeah, yeah. You're you rolling the dice in. and, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you are. Okay, so wait, I have, a, I have a quick question for the two of y'all. So I, I don't travel abroad much. So what is something that people should look for? Like, what is a dead giveaway that this restaurant is about to be some trash? If I walked in, what am I going to see or experience that should make me turn, turn back around and go out the door? Tanisha, I think that you're like if they're trying to if they're like fishing for clientele, I think that's a for sure red flag, definitely. Okay. Yeah. Neighborhoods are different too, right? I think I mean if you're kind of in a less like touristy neighborhood, I think your chances are going to be a little improved. Like let yourself be, you know. Often that's where like the lodging is going to be less expensive as well. Like your Airbnb in the like in a corner of the 10th or the 11th is probably going to be less than like Central Paris. So stick, stay local. I think I would, and I would say also like I'm a I'm kind of a like a snob about wine but like or you know and I and, and like a lot of like these addresses are very like dear to me but maybe they're a little bit niche I also think if you you could go and trust people who like live in that neighborhood and ask them I would say maybe you know in like trust the the advice of people around you okay um I'm not sure it's been a while since I've been like going out in Paris Tanisha have you had any like pretty bad experiences recently or have you like honed your your craft enough to avoid those i have honed my craft but when <laughs> okay. i was here there was there were a few bad experiences partially due to translation errors hmm. but um there are also just some sketchy restaurants that i just popped into that hmm. were a problem yeah it's hard in the tourist areas. Like sometimes I'll just look yep. and people will be like i'm in the 14th where can i go and i've never spent that much time there but i also feel like that's an area that's there's not a lot and you've got a big train station and a you know the Eiffel Tower is near there but you know if you're near the Eiffel Tower or Notre Dame there's I do have some places I did in the book I wanted to do central Paris not because I had a ton of I of I, of places to send people but because that's where people go when they come to Paris and like I I was just up for a weekend and I was super excited to spend an afternoon in Luxembourg Gardens like these kind of touristy places there they have mm-hmm. their charm and I would say go to you know go see the Pantheon go to Notre Dame like go to these places but it's true then sometimes you kind of feel like you're in a like in a 
I don't know, you feel very limited in your choices of what you can find around there. And that's kind of a shame. But I, I do think it'll probably develop. And I did have some good spots to send people for, for food and wine and coffee in those areas. You just have to really seek them out. And yeah, I would say it's just hard to roll up into a place and, and have it be great. Not that that can't happen, but it's rare, I think. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot more planning involved, um, which yeah. is fine. Make a reservation, plan it out, plan it, and that'll help you plan your time better. Um, I think it just people have a problem when they want to stop somewhere for lunch and they're like, okay, well, I'm here. I'm hungry right now. Where can I pop in? Yeah. Well, and that's a huge thing, right? Especially for Americans when they're visiting and they want to have lunch at like three o'clock and it's over. But Paris has gotten a little bit better with like street food options and stuff, like a little bit. And I say that just because I don't think there was anything really 10 years ago, except for like a few falafel places. And now I think there's a little bit more. So so at least there's those sort of like takeaway options as well for people who are like on a budget or off schedule or looking, you know, to go somewhere kind of casual. But it'd be nice to have more of that, I think, in Paris to make it more friendly to, to every diner. To the, you know, all the diners now, that come. it's interesting you say that because some people don't want it to go in that direction because they think that will take away um, what is Paris. And so they think that makes it more like these other cities or some even say more like America. You shouldn't be able to eat all the time. Why do you need to eat 24 hours a day? You should have set eating time, blah, blah, blah. Like people say that. So like, what do you, do you think that they really will move to a more, you know, continued service for food? I hesitate to say, because one time I was doing a book event and someone asked me about like those, um, uh, I can't remember, I think it's called, like, or I can't remember what they're called. There's, like, different services in the U.S. that exist where they, like, send you all the ingredients for food and you just make it at home. Mm-hmm. And yes. someone asked me if I thought that would work in France. And I was like, no, never. People cook because their grandmas taught them how to cook and they make food fresh on Sundays and whatever. And then a year later, I saw in the Metro all these ads for that and I think it was working. So I hesitate. Like, my first reaction to say, like, no, pe- like French people and French culture will always be very tied to the like sit down and eat mode, mm-hmm. but maybe it isn't. And I do think that that's like a, a real thing to think about. Cause I think preserving like culinary traditions are, is super yeah. important. Yeah. Again, I would say that like Americans eating 24 hours a day is, is also kind of one of our culinary traditions in a way. <laughs> like I feel like it, not like in a, like in a gourmand, like gluttonous way, but in a like, our lives aren't built around mealtimes as much for better or for worse. And in France, it definitely is. And I think when I think of like people being able to eat at like lunch at two, at like three o'clock or four o'clock, it's more like people are just off schedule because you're, if you're a tourist and you're visiting the museum and you happen to leave late and there's, there's nothing more lonely than being hungry at 5 p.m. in, in yes. France, you know? Yeah. Like, like so, yes, that happens. I mean, everyone's been there. Everyone's been there. Like, that's a tough one. Yeah. But, um, but it just, I think that's a super interesting conversation to have and, like, debate to have. That's one that I'm going to be thinking about now that you've brought it up. Um, but I think, you know, also I think in, in, you know, on the, like, I guess on the flip side, because when I think of these kind of street food places, I'm thinking of places like Mizunon, which is, like, falafel and, mm-hmm. you know, these, like, like, pita sandwiches and stuff. And that's, like, a place that opened up in um, in Israel, like, in Tel Aviv, I think, is the original location. It was always kind of friend, Franco-Israeli, and then they came here to do this, and I mean, it's kind of just, it's also like an interesting culinary experience. Like you don't have a lot of, you just don't have another thing like that. So I think, you know, that sort of thing, that like that foreign influence on the Paris food scene is 
super interesting and it happens in other contexts too like if you look at mokonets which is like a lunch restaurant and it's a lebanese chef and a like japanese american pastry chef and it's a couple that owns that and, and that's an amazing amazing place to eat and that sort of like you know i don't want to say fusion but that like you know mix of cultures coming together in paris i think that's super cool too so I think i'm not i'm definitely not against like paris welcoming more like yes outside influences in their in their eating culture and their cuisine like I think if anywhere if it's not been anywhere it's going to happen in Paris and I think I think Parisians can like are responsible enough to handle that and also sit down and have a three-hour lunch with you know a bottle of wine as well I think I don't know though yes before I go any further I forgot to mention this part Emily is an expat or um, maybe now closer to being a citizen. How long have you lived in Paris and where are you from in the States? Okay, so I'm from California originally, from the Bay Area, from the South Bay. And then I did my, like, my, you know, my studies, my, I did university in the Northwest. I was in Olympia, Washington. So four years there. And then finished college and was kind of, didn't know, at that sort of like, what next moment? And I had spent the last, like, semester of, college studying French because I was really bad at languages and I had enough credits to graduate and was like I'm gonna try something I that I was bad at before and see if I'm better at it now and so I started studying French and I went abroad with the program that I was doing the language program um and really fell in love with France even before Paris and so I and I loved like learning the French language and I was super intrigued by French culture um and then the first so the first year I lived in France was actually immediately after that so it was like 2004 I did like a English language assistant thing in the countryside. Um, and then when that ended, I was pretty bummed to leave France. So in 2005, I decided to come back um, and just head to Paris because I felt like there'd be more opportunities for me. And that, and then the plan was to stay as long as I could. And so that's, that was 14 years ago and I'm still, I'm still here. So that was, a, it was kind of like a little experiment that's still ongoing, I guess. Okay, I just wanted to make sure I got that part in because listeners are probably like, wait, so does she live in France? Is she French? Yeah. What is going on? Why does she, how does she know everything about Still her? here. Yeah. I'm still here. Yeah, no one's leaving here. We're, we're good. We're, we're good. No, we're good, I think. We're good. We're safe, we're safe here for now. <laughs> yeah. Circling back to the book, so you have um, uh, like neighborhood roundups and restaurants in there. What is probably your favorite recipe or concept in the book? My, so the so a word about the recipes is that they're all super simple. Like I'm a home chef, but I don't um, have any like training or professional experience. And I, you know, and I felt a little bit, I mean, I felt incredibly overwhelmed and intimidated by the process of recipe developing when I started the book. And so I told myself, um, I want them to be recipes that I would make first and foremost. And the criteria for that was like, not too many ingredients nothing that you couldn't find in the U.S. and in France, because that really, I mean, except for, like, great recipes, that, and we can talk about buttermilk and fried chicken later if you want to, Tanisha, but sometimes you can't find a thing, you have to figure it out, I get it, yes. but I really wanted this to be a book that you could pick up in, in, like, the U.S., in Australia, in France, in Poland, you know, and be able to make this stuff, so that was, so that's the thing, it was, like, simple, totally accessible, and, um, yeah, and like limited amount of ingredients and and uh, like technique required. So um, so that's what those the recipes are like. I I and so I love the ones that are most simple. I think like I really really one of the original recipes in the book is the Swiss chard gratin, and it's just like Swiss chard with a bechamel and like in the oven and on a winter night. That's 
super easy and delicious and like rich and savory and yummy. Um, I added like a sausage and lentil recipe to the new edition and it's just a one pot meal that's like you just let it simmer and it gets like salty and savory and the lentils are nice and you have a little bit of like um, like fattiness from the sausage and it's super mm -hmm. super good. Um, I like I'm not you know I'm super daunted by like baking but I one of my favorite recipes in the new edition is the apple and quince tart to town which I made kind of by accident because when we first moved here it was like apple and quince season and we had a friend who had kind of like been invited to pick apples and quince at this orchard that had been abandoned and we got them and I realized I didn't know what to do with them and ended up making this tart to town that was super nice and like caramelly and um so they're all kind of like sentimental recipes because I've made them a bunch of times and I like eating them and I've shared them with people and there are also ones that I you know I get feedback from people too where they're just like I'm making this tonight and they feel comfortable with it and and I want that to be like a non-intimidating super nice thing and also you know the idea of like seeing the produce in a, in a Paris market or a French market and or even and then seeing it at your farmer's market and be able to kind of recreate a, a, a memory through cooking is the is the idea. No, and that makes sense because there are, um, I mean, there are a lot of cookbooks or a lot of people who are chefing. I'm going to make that a verb. And um, it's all these different ingredients. It's like 10, 15 ingredients you have to put in and things that you can't necessarily find or you have to search and go to specialty stores for it. But yours seems to be on a much more basic level for someone who is uh, a seasoned cook or somebody who is just kind of starting out. It's like, all right. Yeah, I think, yeah, it's like base level. And then a seasoned cook could probably go wild with like, you know, adding things for texture or doing, you know, other, you know, stuff. But I think this is like, you know, I think this is also the way that if you ask, you know, like one thing that really, like I loved when I first started going to the Paris markets and like doing research for this book, but this book happened, you know, years after I had already been like a big, like a disciple of like Paris markets and a geek about them. Um, is that you'll ask the farmer or ask like an old lady in line with you what you should do with a vegetable that you don't know and they'll and they'll tell you and it's always super simple it's like well you roast it or you make it into soup or you know and I I knew I could go home and do that and I knew I, I would go home and do that even if it was just me living alone or if I were working have friends over for dinner like and it was always like you know you could have technique and you could do you can like elevate the vegetable but I think even when I talked to chefs like I talked to Sarah from Holy Belly for the book they gave a recipe she was saying honestly like my job is to just like accompany the ingredient without you know like and letting the ingredient like show itself in it's like purest form so I think you know there's it's nice to just know how to transform it into something that's like a wholesome meal but without without feeling like you need to like add bells and whistles either well, at the farmer's market, do you have like a staple item that you go there to look for or do you have like a favorite thing that you like to get at the market? I like to see like what's like new, like things that I don't know. I'll always be excited to find. At this point, I feel like, you know, in winter, you're not going to see too many weird things, except for sometimes you'll find like a, a cousin of the Jerusalem artichoke or something, you know, that's kind of cool and that's exciting to to use I think I go to like see markers of this of the seasons changing and so it's always super exciting to see the first strawberries for example or rhubarb you know that's like you know that like sunny days are on the way and so I like to do that and get um 
and to just really exhaust our resources. And like that, here recently, fennel showed up at the market, and that's like we've just been like roasting that or braising that, and and um, that's like something I didn't eat that much in the U.S. and definitely not on its own. Um, and that's a super complex, like beautiful taste, especially when it's roasted. It's like you have that sort of nice like black licorice taste with like the the sweetness that comes out of the roasting process and stuff like that. I think I think there were a lot of vegetables like quince, for example. I didn't really know what it was before. So going to the market and really sticking to like a very seasonal like menu, it has has made me look at vegetables that I probably wouldn't have even picked up before because I didn't know what they were or where to start with them. Okay. Serena, you go to the market a lot um, in DC. Do you uh, look for different things? Do you have like a list of things you go for when you are at the market? Um, for the farmer's markets here, uh, my favorite one is Eastern Market. And um, something that I get every time I go to the market is probably either kale or collards. And I try to do different things with them. Like one time I took, um, it was like a, a, a kale rest. No, it was a collet recipe, but I had to blanch them. And then I wrapped them in like sausage and carrots and tomatoes. And, and I tied them up and I baked them. And so it was like a little collard wrap. It was, it was so good. But um, let's see, what else do I get? Whatever fruit is in season. I mean, I love so apples. You're, does the market go full year? Like, is it year round or? Yeah, does it... it's year okay, round. Cool. Yeah, yeah, it's year round, and it's partially inside and outside. So all of the vegetables and stuff is on the outside. Um, most of the meat and the produce, other produce like milk and eggs, and then they have like a, um, they have like a whole poultry stand where you can get everything from like turkey jerky to, I don't know, chicken gizzards, that sort of thing. That's in inside the building. But um, yes, it's year round and um, everything is fresh and it's so good. They usually cut up the fruit and put it on little plates and the vegetables and the tomatoes and stuff. So you can taste what you're buying before you buy it. Um, but no, seasonal as well. I think that's a that's great advice for people to really watch the seasons and see what's going to be what's going to be a hit. And I would say like carry on too, because sometimes you're like, I don't want more carrots and potatoes and like turnips but mm -hmm. like stick with it because in the minute you have like the new thing that shows up it's so exciting and I think it's nice yeah. to feel the joy of the seasons changing and like it's not even just it's not even to be dogmatic about it I think it's just like a yeah. nice it's like a it's a it's a simple pleasure to give yourself to be excited about um mm -hmm. Uh, about eating something new and like waiting it out and like delaying that pleasure in a way to until yeah. it, until it's like at its you know in its best form it's ripest and it's time to to like offer itself to you kind of thing. I was I was watching this um I was watching this show and there's a delivery service in New York where this girl she works with local markets on the outside of um outside of New York City and her delivery service is to deliver vegetables Ve I think it's vegetables and meat to her clients so they get fresh vegetables like every week or so often but it's a, a subscription service just for fresh produce and i thought that, that was amazing. genius genius yeah, it's true because the markets i think oh sorry oh no go ahead well i was just gonna say like the markets um it's it it's not easy for everyone to go to like the thing i say about like paris markets for example is that it's amazing because six days a week you have a market somewhere but 99% of them are morning markets, you know, on a Wednesday or a, or a Thursday or Tuesday or whatever. And so not everyone can take their 
you know, their weekday morning off to go to them. And so, you know, so that's a, that's a definite, like, in, in a way, you know, markets are going to the market in Paris is kind of a privilege. There's definitely weekend markets and all the organic markets are on the weekend. But, you know, being able to take that time to go shopping, not everyone has it. So services like that, I think, are very interesting because you can still benefit from, like, seasonal produce without, um, without you know, being restricted to having a lifestyle that allows that, which a lot of people don't have necessarily. And I think you have to be also okay with other people picking your food for you, like picking your vegetables, picking your fruit. Some mm-hmm. people here may have a little problem with that. Like, oh, I would have picked something different or I don't like it like this. But Can we um, talk about that, Tanisha, like the cultural difference? Because in France, like when I have people <laughs> who come visit and I take them to markets, they're like, why can't I touch the food? And I'm like, I'm Californian. Like, I know how to tell an avocado is ripe. Like, I yes. understand what you're saying. Like, I want to touch the avocado. I want to choose it myself. But you don't You don't touch, like, before you buy in France. Oh, wait, you like, can't it's... touch the food before you buy it? No, they no. do not let you touch the food. <laughs> Unless they give you, you, like, their it, express. They're going like, to your hand or say something. Yeah, you're not supposed to touch it. You just yeah. tell them, like, oh, I want this avocado for tonight. Or I want something mm-hmm. to eat Wow. I had no idea. It throws people for a loop because they're like, why can't I, like, why can't I be a, you know, participate in this? But it's right. one of those, it's just a super French thing. It's like, this person is the professional and so they're going to know how to choose. But it's, yeah, but I think also buying food is like a very, like, it's not just a visual, it's kind of like a tactile experience, except for not, not so much in France. Right. Wow. Yeah. And huh. you get better stuff at markets than you do at the grocery store. Like, of course, at the grocery store, you can pick it up and touch mm-hmm. it and all that but it mm. is better at the market. So oh, it's a trade-off. Huh. Mm. Wow. Yeah, it's a trade-off. For sure. <laughs> okay. Now, Emily, when you go, when you first started going to markets, how did you know who you wanted to buy from? What vendors? Because there'll be like 20 people that sell vegetables, another 10 that have fruit. How do you make the decision who, you know, what vendor you want to use? Is it just price? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a super good question, especially since, like, when I started going to markets, it was, like, it was definitely to, um, I wanted to visit them all and, like, really make a map of, like, where you can find actual farmers and markets, because I was so inspired by, um, like, the U.S. farmer's market, which is literally that, like, you have farmers at a market, you know, whereas here, like, that's definitely what it was um, at, you know, some distance time but now it's you have a lot of people who either you know who are like you know wholesalers like reselling food from all over the place or you know um you don't necessarily have like independent farmers at all the markets so you do usually have one somewhere and so when it first started there's no like real legislation or codification of that like people there's some keywords you can look for and i definitely looked for those like you can have like producer or maraché, which is kind of like, you know, garden farmer, like someone who grows their own vegetables, uh, producer en dépendant, someone who's like has their own, you know, land that they work. Um, I personally don't, um, uh, don't only buy from organic, like certified organic vendors because they don't, um, nec- I think that there's a lot of people who are pra- like practicing uh, sort of like, reasonable agriculture and that are working a small amount of land and are doing like a polycultural uh, production where they have a lot of different things growing. So I'm not, I know I'm not buying from like a tomato in November factory, you know, I like make that distinction (laughs) of something that's like has dirt on it and came from the ground, but I don't necessarily only buy from organic vendors. It's, um, 
for my own personal reasons, and I'm not judging anyone who does or doesn't do that. Um, so what I would do is like look for those little like keywords, but also honestly, it was the place that had like the longest lines, and, that, and often that was like the little like vieille dame, like the old ladies from the neighborhood, or you know the regulars, and they're like, this is where you get the best potatoes, and they have like this discriminating taste. They they've tried the other places, they probably realize that this is the best like price and quality, you know, combination, and they. Um, and I trust them. And so that was like my first kind of indication. And then I would chat with the people. And I think it's like with anything, like talk to the producer. And, and if they're like passionate about what they do, they're probably not doing a, a bad job at it is how I feel. Okay. Um, I mean, you can't, if, you're, if there's a language barrier that becomes complicated. So I would say visual clues, like, and I write about that in the book, like how can you find a farmer at the market? And there's like visual clues and different like tip offs to where, how you combine. And then, you know, there's also, if there's three organic markets in Paris and there's um, a few markets that have like a ton of farmers that are, that you can go to like Marché Bastille, for example, has a wide choice. Uh, Marché d'Alique is like, the, it, you have, you're going to find some cool like producer around there. And then that's like a really interesting market to go to. I mean, I think it should also be like a cultural experience. I think also, even if you're not, if you don't have a kitchen, you're traveling, you don't have a kitchen, you're not planning on cooking just going to the market is also just super interesting to see how people buy their food, learn about that you don't touch food in France, or, you know, like, <laughs> learning those things, those aspects, I think, is, like, a cultural immersion as well. Yes. I was just actually at the Marche uh, d'Aligue today. Um, was over at Baron Rouge uh, with some friends. Yeah, cool. and Drinking some wine there. And then we went cool. to the market and walked. Uh, I think that Baron Rouge needs to exist everywhere. Like, there should be one of them in every city everywhere it's amazing got some oh, what, what is it is it a market no baron rouge so uh marche d'alig yeah that's the market but baron rouge is uh, a wine bar that's over there and that oh. wine bar has been there about 40 years and it's for the people from the marche when they finish there they would you know wrap up and then come over and have wine mm -hmm. uh, on sundays they usually have uh, oysters out front and they're shucking fresh oysters oh man they have those with the a nice crisp sancerre. Oh, gosh. Or oh. And I think they sell bulk wine, too. Do they still do that, Tanisha, where you can, like, bring your bottle and fill it up there? Yeah, and the first okay. yeah, that's so cool. bought, like, three bottles of um, the wine they have there. They had a rosé, they had a, um, a morgon, and then a Turin, uh Turin Blanc, so Sauvignon Blanc. Yep, they got some bottles, wrote their names on them, talked to the guy, got a bag. Yeah, it was a fun experience. Cause also they open at ten o'clock. Where else are you going Sunday at ten a.m. to have wine? Mm -hmm. well, this is what I'm saying too. Yeah, totally. Or you do your market and you're like, cool. You get up early to do the market. It already feels like maybe it's noon. It's not, but you feel that way. So time <laughs> yeah. to have a little drink. Like, and no one's going to judge you for it. Oh, I love Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And it was crowded in there too. What well, I mean, not crowded, but like it was a steady stream of people coming and going, and everybody yeah, such knows an everybody. They're shaking mm -hmm. hands, speaking, hey, how you doing? Good to see you. You want the regular. What do you, you know, what's going on? And it was, you know, mm -hmm. guys start playing guitar outside. It was like a whole fantastic, you know, just a great way to spend a Maybe not like, I didn't put this in the book for obvious reasons, but another way to tell a good restaurant in Paris, I think, is like how horrible the toilet is. And that bar has one of the worst toilets in oh Paris. Which I think it just like propels it up to like legendary status just because of yes, that. Yes, first of all, it's outside, number one. Oh, you can, like no. go through like a gutter or something to get there. 
So are you saying the worse the bathroom is, the better the restaurant is? I legit, like when I lived in the 18th, had a bar called the Alibi, and I was like, this is the worst bathroom in Paris. It was, it was the worst bathroom in Paris, but it was the best bathroom line. Because I cannot tell you how many friends I made waiting to go to the bathroom at this horrible, like, Turkish wow. toilet, just gnarly, just gnarly bathroom. It was yes. great beer, great scene, great people. And you would just chat, like, have those, like, fun, like, moments that you don't often have with French people, you know, just, like, complicit yes. right away, like, become friends with. And, and then they renovated the bathroom. And I was like, I don't even know if I can come here anymore. <laughs> <laughs> No charm. Yeah. Turkish toilets are still like sketchy for me. I'll just hold it. Like I can't do it. <laughs> I hold it. When you've been it. drinking beer though and making friends, it's kind of hard. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't want to go home that early. Like you'd have to yeah, tap exactly. out like, an hour in. Like I gotta go. I can't do it. <laughs> so yeah. Speaking of beer, Emily. <laughs> You had a beer project where you were brewing some amazing beers. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I did. Yeah, so that was something that, like, so we moved here with my boyfriend for wine because he wanted to start working in the vines and, like, get his hands a little bit dirtier besides just doing the kind of, like, annual harvest um, uh, experience that he was having for a few years. So we moved here for wine and then got here, and I was missing Paris a lot, and I was missing the two, like, major consumable things that I was missing was coffee and beer um so I started ordering coffee like from Cafe Lomi and having them deliver it to me which is a little like wine uh, coffee roaster in the 18th um and then I realized the beer is actually not that hard to make and you just need a little bit of equipment and I got into it and I and it was such a like it was it was such a fun like fermentation experience for me and it was also like really nostalgic like it brought me back to like growing up like what I was saying like growing up in California but then also going to school in the Pacific Northwest which has such a like rich craft beer culture and history and then moving to Paris and like starting to like write about Paris as this like craft beer scene was exploding around 2010 and like it's just been getting bigger and bigger and so I um uh, and so all of this, just like the sensory experience of making beer, like smelling the hops and smelling the malts, and it was just, it made me, it felt like I was like homebrewing to cure homesickness in a way. And so, um, and so I had a lot of fun doing that, just making like 30 liter, I'm not sure how many gallons that is, but you know, like small batch beer for home. And then met um, a guy who wanted to like invest a little bit and, and build a brewery, but it didn't work out exactly as we planned because life happens and I had a baby and I was working nights. It got a little bit, it definitely like burnt out um, on that lifestyle, but not at all on, on beer making it. So I learned a lot um, and had a lot of success. And it was a really, really cool way to like interface with people in the countryside because I was proposing these like hoppy American style, you know, I never made an IPA, but I was making like American pale ales or just hop forward beers. And to people who hadn't, really tasted craft beer yet because it hasn't gotten out here and you know we're used to maybe just drinking like a Cronenberg or whatever and people were super into it so it was cool to see that and connect with people and share something I think you know if you move to a small community you have to kind of like try to be the change that you want to see in that community or, or bring something to the community and that was that's what I that's what I brought I guess and, then, um, and so we'll see I'm, I really feel like that's I'm really interested in in the beer world and I think that that's probably what what my next uh, projects are going to be focused on um, and I'm super grateful for that experience. Yeah. Do you still brew for yourself? 
like just for you to have or you're like done completely? You know, if I had a little bit more time and the equipment, I would definitely have already been doing that this summer. Um, it's definitely like a plan. I kind of want to make sure that I have a brew done before the summer's over. I need to upgrade a little, some of my material because I learned some different techniques on how to brew and I want to like be equipped to do the like the all grain technique instead of doing extract brewing which is a little bit more like just add water um mm -hmm. there's and there's a little bit less like um I don't know my craft involved so I need to upgrade a little bit and find the time but I have a lot of support that's something that I can definitely get um my partner to babysit for if it means making the year he's he's way behind <laughs> that so <laughs> child care is not an issue on that on that support. do you have a fav uh, favorite beer pairing like when you, yes, you know. I love this question. You know, I thought about it a lot. You know, I think like I think it's super interesting because you're talking to people like wine and food pairing is so huge. So when you're like presenting beers, you know, you want to you want and like, like that's a huge like inroad like beer still has to make. I think in France is like okay, I love it, but no, not a lot of people want to eat with beer. So I think. I think you can do a lot of cool stuff with like cheeses. I went to a wine tasting. It was an all women wine tasting a few weeks ago. It was so cool. It's called Maitres Dichet and it was only women winemakers. And there was a woman who, her company name is Cheese Fox. I'm not sure that much about it. It's kind of a new thing she's getting off the ground, but it's an English woman who's bringing like artisanal cheese, British cheese, like from the north of England into Paris. And she brought some. And that is like this nice, like really like aged, salty um kind of like sharp cheeses and that i was i was just i was at this wine tasting and i was just like eating cheese and beer pretty much because that was like pure deliciousness but in my daily life for me the best pure beer pairing in the world is like after work sitting down having a beer like i think nothing goes better with sitting down after work than a beer <laughs> that's just that's like what beer is for for me Okay, and use you know Americans think of beer as like uh, sporting events, so like that's their beer pairing. That's like true. Beer and that's true. Beer, For sure. Titles, beer and baseball. So not For sure. The wind down, because I know when I think of a wind down, I think of literally wine. I think of mm. drinking wine at the end of the day. Same. So, yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. No, I hear you, and no, I totally get that. And like, it's funny. I think sometimes in some ways, like beer is maybe associated with this sort of like like zone out maybe activity like passive activity and I think maybe I think that's probably changing because our beer is getting a little bit more complex and I'm not an advocate of like inventing a new style of beer every 30 seconds I think that's like way too much but I do think like people trying like different techniques and making diff like different like, beer like styles or reviving different styles make it something that like maybe makes you sit and think a little bit more than just like drinking it but I'm also I'm down with sitting down and drinking something and relaxing like a good glass of wine for sure after you know at the end of the day we all need something in our glass I think no matter what it makes us happy agreed agreed yes. can I uh can I ask about your preference for wine um is there yeah, like, like a, is there a particular wine that you have to keep in your house oh that's a great question so we have um so my boyfriend works for a winemaker. He's like the he's like a right hand man of this uh, right hand man of the winemaker that's local here. So we obviously drink a lot of like what they make, um, and we drink locally a lot. And one of the reasons that we're here is because um, Ben was super attracted to the wine that's made here. So definitely, I mean, I'm a huge fan of whites, and here we have some very nice Sauvignon, but there's also some like 
varietals that are kind of coming back that are native to this area, like um Tam is one that's just this like super crisp. Uh, when it's like done really well, you've got this kind of almost like pear taste. It's like very elegant and crisp and fresh and um, and super well structured. And I love to have some of that if I can. Otherwise, um, I love me a good gamay, like something that's just like bright and you know has like a nice fruit to it, but maybe a little bit of maybe a little complexity, but just, you know, something that's just pretty and and, um, and fruity and fun to drink. Um, also, another thing that we have here that I think is cool, because every time it, I taste it, you know, from a different winemaker, it has these different nuances to me, is a Pinot Donis, which is, um, oh. which is uh, like a red that's kind of, I think it's, it's kind of hard to vinify. I think it's a little bit particular, but when it's done... Um, when it's like in its fullest like expression of itself, it's kind of like peppery and spicy and um, and and super fun to like to pair with food. Um, and that's actually super like popular now. I think people are getting really into that that varietal from what I hear. Mm. All right, since we're and bubbles, about- right? Like and some bubbles for sure. We <laughs> we live down the road from a guy who makes um, Petion Naturel, and he only makes Petion. Um, and he's kind of he was sort of part of the group that was responsible for bringing back the méthode ancestrale, which is like zero dosage. So the so the, bot- the wine is bottled before it's totally dry. So that sugar that remains like is what leads to the second fermentation in the bottle. So these like super fine bubbles, it's like a dry, sparkly wine that's really elegant, but like also, I mean, it depends. He has different, like, he has different, um, uh, cuvée, how do you say that? He has different vintages. But um, yeah, bubbles. That's yeah. If I could have one bottle in my fridge all the time, it would be a bottle of bubbles for sure. Love, love it. Is that the one that we're pairing with the fried chicken when we do our fried? Yes, chicken? exactly, exactly. When is that happening, Tanisha? I'm yeah, still so, waiting for it. Yeah. So, Sarita, I don't, I don't even remember how this came about, but Emily and I have been talking about. I think it might have been when I posted about fried chicken and champagne or sparkling wine. Mm-hmm. So Emily has always wanted to do that pairing and did, hadn't even made fried chicken before. But she oh. got a recipe and tried some fried chicken, making it herself with buttermilk. Um, she got, what is it called? Chicken thumb? Or I forget. Yeah, no, it's called like club thumb or something, club, which yeah. is totally what it should be called. But I had never heard of that. And I hadn't heard it called anything either. But Sarita, you know this. From when you keep dipping yep. um, the chicken in the flour, yes. then you have all of that flour and batter on your finger. And once it touches the chicken, it takes all the flour off that part. Yes. So, yeah. So that's it. That Super frustrating. That happened to Emily on her first try. Oh, uh, my gosh. But, you know, Wait, is there something you can do to avoid that? Or is that just part of it? I have no idea. Yeah. And it seems like, I, do you wash your hands or like rinse your hands off? Every time? I mean, yeah. Well, I have a lot to learn. I feel bad because I was going to wait for you too. And then someone gifted me this, the, um, you know, what is it? Salt, fat, acid, heat for Christmas. And it was winter in the country. said, I have this Dutch friend who like bought us a deep fryer because she was annoyed that we didn't fry food for her more often because she's Dutch and <laughs> they fry everything. So I was like, I have a deep fryer. I have this cookbook. There's a recipe in and it's winter time and and it just happened. But I'm still, but I didn't, I didn't like, 
I didn't like uh, internalize any of the information, Tanisha. I'm waiting. I'm still a blank slate. If you want to teach me, <laughs> I so can unlearn. I'm going to go down there. We have to plan this. I'm going to go down yeah. there with some Crisco. I have Crisco. We're going to go okay. down there. Crisco is important. Um, okay. You okay. have all the seasoning, but the Crisco oil is important for um, the frying. Um, can we have like a little chat about buttermilk in France? Because that's a thing. Like it's, yes. a th it's not a thing. So how do you it's find not. it? And what do you do? And people ask a lot about buttermilk, and I'm like, I don't know what those words are in French. And then yeah. someone says, Oh, it doesn't exist. I don't think it exists, and it's not butter. I found milk. one thing. It's from Brittany. It's called Le Ribot, and I, I think it's the same. That's what I used, anyways. And it is very thick, and I've used okay. it for pancakes. But uh, yeah, that's a challenge. That's one hmm. of the challenges. And buttermilk is something that makes everything like stick, and then buttermilk also mm. has flavor. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems like you can't not have it to make fried yeah, chicken. Because salt and pepper, yeah. like, well, salt, salt and pepper is not enough for just to season <laughs> your chicken. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and buttermilk, that helps, but like, you need a little paprika, season of salt, like, yeah. you need some other yeah. things. I use yeah. garlic salt yeah. as well because I'm slightly obsessed with that. Yeah. People say it's garlic <laughs> and salt. I say, okay, I can buy it from America and it's already put together. <laughs> <laughs> Done. That's a whole nother episode about seasoning. Yeah. I mean, fried chicken alone can be its own episode. Have you yeah. guys not done that yet? Because seriously, honestly, they, you, know, you know, Hero, there's a place in, in Paris that does Korean fried chicken and they only have bubbles and beer. So it's like oh. only bubbly beverages with fried chicken. I'm like, of course it is. Like, that's all you want with yeah. like good spicy yeah. fried yeah. chicken. Yes. Yeah. That sounds like a dream. Yeah. And the mm -hmm. place that has the fried chicken and waffles, they don't do alcohol. So it's oh. like a Coca-Cola. And I'm like, well, mm -hmm. Coca-Cola is often delicious I like to sneak, and i can't sneak in champagne like i mean i can't it doesn't taste the same yeah i can sneak in some bourbon but like ah, uh, that's not mm. or fried chicken it's not a thing <laughs> so, there we go but yeah so anybody who's coming and people who come over like they can't even really bring us buttermilk but people can bring us seasonings all the listeners. Yeah. But you can make buttermilk, though. So how do you do that? Is it with, like, lemon and milk? Yes, or something? yes <laughs> lemon. And I think you have to do it overnight, but I'll Google it really quick. But, yeah, you can make it. Someone told me that you need something that's kind of, like, an acid, like, maybe, like, a vinegar or lemon, yeah. and then you do it. And I was like, well, that sounds like something I'm not going to do right. <laughs> <laughs> Like, maybe someone can do that. I don't think I'm the one. But. I'm bringing a Crisco. I can't do everything. <laughs> awesome. Crisco, yes. Okay, that sounds like a solution. Okay, yeah. So according to the Food Network, to make buttermilk, all you need is one cup of milk, one tablespoon of lemon juice or vinegar, and let the mixture stand for 10 minutes. You just do 10 anything. minutes? It says just 10 minutes, but I've, I've made buttermilk before and I've done it overnight. I just let it sit overnight. I don't know if that was right or not, but I used it. But, and that's what you did, okay. though? You did lemon juice and you yeah, just let it sit overnight? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Do you leave it out or you put it in the refrigerator? I put it in the refrigerator because I don't leave dairy products out. That I, it yeah. was, It's probably fine, but it doesn't and say. And that's not weird for me because like, I buy dairy out. So right, I exactly. I put it in the refrigerator or not. I'm yeah. confused. Well, I do leave butter out because I started using real butter this year. So, but, um, but yeah, so that's it. You can make your own buttermilk. 
Okay. I believe it when I see it. One of you guys has to try. (laughs) Good luck with that. (laughs) It sounds too simple to be true. Right. Like, why would you ever buy buttermilk if that's literally all it is? Yeah, if all you have to do. I mean, think about fried chicken. That's a lot of steps. It's messy. Who wants to make buttermilk when you're about to fry chicken? You just want to have it. Right, but But maybe if you use the other lemon on your finger. And you get rid of your club finger. That's probably it. That's what you do. That's, you have a one half of lemon for the club finger and the other one for making your own DIY buttermilk because you're just that cool. That is it. All right. Um, uh, finishing up our question part. What's for dinner tonight, Emily? I'm not even going to lie to you. Um, we had a long day and just put the baby to bed. And I have some kale. I'm going to make a kale salad, but that kale salad is going to be accompanied by a frozen pizza because that's how it is. <laughs> we, uh, yeah, we had a, a long day, and that's, that's my Father's Day meal for my lovely partner, which I'm not actually proud of now that I say it out loud. <laughs> <laughs> not Wait, super. I wasn't aware that you guys had a lot of frozen products. Well, there's Picard, which Tanisha can probably talk about because we don't, because out here in the in the sticks, we don't really have that. Okay. But that's 100% Picard. dedicated to Frozen. Got it. Um, and we, no, we have a very limited selection. We found this one, like, German brand of Frozen pizza that I kind of, we've decided to, we'll do the, we'll do the trick. Okay. okay. I love it. <laughs> or, like, you might see, like, the store might have a brand of Frozen yeah. pizza. Okay. But that's kind of all you get frozen at the store. If I buy anything frozen, I do get it from Picard. Picard is a store, like, it's just freezer. So everything in there is frozen. So anything you can Yeah, and they've, like, mastered the technology of, like, flash freezing, I think. Like, they do everything. Okay. I mean, it's soup. It's herbs. It's vegetables cut up. It's uh, whole meals. It's a chicken. It's a duck. It's a half a turkey. Scallops in the shell. Mm. Like, it's literally everything. Wow. A cake. Okay. Whatever you need. Everything. Literally everything. All right, Emily, we have our either or questions for you now. Um, okay. A little random. These are going to make you laugh, but I mean, here we go. First question uh, Camembert or Velveeta cheese? Do you know what? I don't think I've even ever had Velveeta. So I oh, wouldn't be against goodness. trying it. <laughs> but I would be afraid my kid would see me eating it and she would want it and I'm not sure if I'm ready for that to happen yet so okay. and I also love camembert actually it's just it's my answer is camembert okay I didn't know if to make this camembert or Velveeta or camembert and uh, like a craft single because I feel like everybody has at least oh, yeah. every American has at least had and, that one yeah time. that's it that's like the grilled cheese go-to for sure that would be a little bit tricky but it still go, would go with camembert because actually yeah, I'm actually feeling the camembert, especially right now. Like leaving it out a little bit, letting it get melty is so good. Now I want cheese. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Croissant or garlic bread? And like mm. the red lobster, like garlic biscuit, like that, if you had that. Oh, okay, cool. Thank you for, okay. Thank you for being yeah. precise on that. Um, yeah, definitely. Well, this is so hard because I haven't had garlic bread in so long now I want it I want that that's my answer <laughs> garlic bread I want that okay. right now <laughs> we need some garlic favorite. salt we'll bring it someone will bring it to us and we'll make yes. some garlic bread yes um ice cream or gelato mm. 
gelato. Cause okay. yeah, that's like a, that's a good fruit. That's like the, you can really get the essence of a fruit into a gelato, I think, without any other nonsense. I could, and yeah, I could go for a gelato. Yeah, yeah. 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 yeah, and you can eat more of it and feel better. They serve it in the little petals if you go to that uh, one place. Okay, croque monsieur or grilled cheese? Grilled cheese all the way. That's probably my, like, ultimate comfort food. Like, sick, grilled cheese will fix it. Everything fixes a bath and grilled cheese fixes everything. Sarita is surprised because I'm so surprised. She was like, no chance she would ever say anything beside a croak. And I'm like, ah. Okay, well, maybe this also goes back to, like, I think croque monsieur is such a French menu staple, but it's so often on those, like, tourist restaurants that you go to and it's not good, you know? If someone could make the croque monsieur, I would be like, oh, yeah, of course the French made a better grilled cheese. But I just haven't had that before. So for me, grilled cheese is better. And I'm yeah. sticking by that until someone proves me wrong. And also, I like it that grilled you know, cheese is just much more gooey. Like, French cheese isn't as melty as uh, yeah. the cheese that we use. So we, mm. yeah. So that's mm. what gets Yeah, me I agree. Okay. That's, the, that's the difference is the melty gooiness is what, is what I look for in a melted cheese sandwich. Now, with you being from California, I don't know if these may be different for you, but French mac and cheese or American mac and cheese? Now, the first yeah, way- well, Ameri- like, yeah, mac and cheese is pretty regional, isn't it? I've never... Kind of, but I just feel like yeah. Americans is more baked, and the French ways with the bechamel, you make the roux, you stir it up. Okay, okay, okay. Do you know, I have a, this is like kind of a trigger for me, because I've always failed at any kind of mac and cheese. So. What? <laughs> but what I made the other day, and I'm sorry to like, throw a like wrench in the ear or but I, the other day I made like just a super 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 basic like cheese risotto and mm-hmm. I was like this is like mac and cheese yeah and I'm and I'm good at this one so like <laughs> yes. can I say Italian mac and cheese and just okay pretend that that's a thing okay Either or or it's fine okay awesome. so Italian mac and cheese and also, I see that we'll have to have fried chicken and mac and cheese, which is fine. Because yeah, it was, both of those it's, again, go well with sparkling wine. So it's perfect. Yes, it does. I'm your student on that one because I need to see it happen. I've had great, like, like transcendent mac and cheese before, but I've never been able to make it. It always gets dry. I don't know what no, I'm doing. Crisco. I, Do I need I Crisco? I know the secret. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> Lastly, chocolate chip cookies or macarons? Totally chocolate chip cookies. What? Besides, like, how... Yeah, totally. I know. Should I not be living in France? <laughs> should I, like, go back to America? <laughs> should I just, like, pack a suitcase of camembert and get on a plane back to the States? <laughs> the land of garlic bread? I don't know. Especially with a little sea salt on top? <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously. Yeah, seriously. I've had some, like... I've had some really good chocolate chip cookies. Like, there's um Jean... Jean... Caron, who's like across from Bone Shaker, she makes these amazing cookies. The the woman at um at Mokonats, she makes amazing chocolate chip cookies. Yeah, those I've had I mean, you just can't go. I mean, why would you? I mean, macarons are a whole different animal. I think they're like they're so pretty. They they look like little like pieces of art. They're gorgeous to look yeah. at. But like, if I have to choose between what I'm going to stuff myself with, it's going to be chocolate chip cookies for sure. I love it. There you go. Well, Emily, thank you so much for being here with us this afternoon, evening. Um, Can you please tell us where we can find you on social, online, 
buy your book, all of that. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So I think the best thing would be, well, so I'm like Perry Paysan on all of the social media networks. I'm on like so Facebook, Instagram, da, da, da. Uh, that's a good place to keep in touch. And perrypaysan.com is the website. So that's a good place to go. But like Instagram and Facebook is where I'm going to like share links about stuff. I have one event coming um, up. I'm not sure when this airs, but if I'm on June 26th, I'm going to be in California. I'm going to do a little book event at, in Laguna Beach. I have some family there I'm visiting. There's this lovely independent bookshop that I'm pairing up with to do an event. I'm planning other events in Paris. So if, and you, if you have Paris listeners, I'm going to do some stuff in the fall in Paris. And so Instagram and Facebook, Perry Paysan would be the best place to, to be up to date on that. And then the book is uh, coming out on the 25th, and it's available for pre-order on Amazon totally understand if you don't want to buy from Amazon it's going to be in bookshops as well in the US and I'm working on getting it in some places in in France because I want um, other experts to be able to have that as well so updates will all be on Instagram and Facebook for, for that information and more oh perfect anything else any parting words for us parting words uh the book is a paperback put it in your suitcase or like look at it or borrow it from someone or get it from the library and I just really want people to have fun in Paris it's my favorite place in the world and there's it makes me it like literally breaks my heart when I hear people having a bad experience in Paris so if I can help have it like someone have a good experience even if it's like one meal or one cup of coffee that makes me feel really good um so yeah so I just yeah I wish everyone safe travels and enjoy Paris and um and um, yeah and I really hope that if I can be any part of that of making someone's trip enjoyable that makes me incredibly incredibly happy perfect awesome. that is an excellent way to end it all well, the show oh, thank you so much also I want to say thank you to you both for having me on it's been super fun to chat with you and um, and good luck with all of your future episodes in this project, which is super fun and um, bringing lots of information to people. Which is important. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you so much for joining us today. And best yeah. of luck with your cookbook and the, um, everything. And I am looking forward to when you come to Paris for yeah. um, the book event so I can be there with mine in the front to have a time. And we absolutely Yes, well, you know you're welcome in the countryside. Yeah, yes, come down and see us, and we'll do wine tastings, and you'll meet the crazy winemakers. It'll be super fun. Yes, that is going to happen this year for sure. We, yes. July, come in July, do it. Okay. But yeah. We'll talk about that <laughs> sure. Okay. Thank you so much, Emily. Enjoy the rest. Of your Thank day. you, ladies. Thank you so much, Tanisha Bye. 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 Hey guys, thanks for joining the Swirl Suite today, and a big thank you to our special guest Emily for joining us. Don't forget to like and subscribe and comment on all of our episodes. You can find us wherever you find your podcast. Also, really quick, we are counting down for the Essence Fest. So we are joining the Hue Society at the Black Wine Experience for Essence Fest. And we're super excited. Let us know if you have any comments or any questions about where we'll be and what time. And lastly, Leslie and I will be attending the Summer Solstice Fest with Old Westminster and Drew and his siblings, Lisa and Ashley, and a bunch of other natural winemakers and some other wine friends. So I think most of the tickets are sold out. You can give it a try. Um, the link is in the Old Westminster bio. We hope to see you there. 
I'm actually leaving on one of the buses. I'm riding on the DL Wine Bar bus from DC to Clarksburg, Maryland. So if you're on the bus, shout me out. Let me know. Say hey. All right, guys. Have a wonderful Wednesday. Cheers.